Would you turn your attention now to the scriptures? First chapter here of the book of Colossians, we'll pick up verse 21 through 24 today. And I would begin by saying this, look, we've already seen that Jesus Christ is fully God. Uh, He absolutely is the only Savior. He is the creator of the universe, and he's also the head of the church. And so understanding that, what do we do now? He, He is the completion. He is the one that holds everything together. In essence, we're on a mission to tell the world about him. And so as we've looked at all these pictures of who Jesus is, there, there is a, now a thing that we need to engage ourselves in. Too much of the church, and as I was sharing with the pastors this morning, too much of the church, and this is not meant to be anything other than possibly an eye-opening experience for you, too much of the church sits on the sidelines. Too much of the church is not in the game, so to speak. Too much of the church is waiting for somebody else to do what God's called you to do, me to do, us to do. And we are on a mission. And I would simply cause you to look, what is that mission? You see, for a lot of the church, that mission is to start a beat people over the head with the Bible club. There there are some people engaged in that. For some people, it's to start a Christian club that's only for Christians and keep the dirty, rotten heathens out of it especially those who might be struggling with things like same-sex attraction. For some people, it's join a monastery, join a a convent. For some people, it's buy a nice chunk of property, maybe northern Arizona or Montana, build yourself a little family compound with a bomb shelter, store up about 10 years' worth of food, and you and your family move there, sequester yourself so you don't get any dirt on you. That's not our mission. Our mission is to go out and reach people for the cause of Jesus Christ. It's not to start a club that we alone are welcome in. It's not simply to proclaim what's wrong with mankind. We need to point out that we're sinners and need a Savior, but we need to offer the hope that is in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen? Amen. And so now the Apostle Paul turns his attention to this ministry, and the focus is the he the him, the himself, the Jesus who is Lord. And it begins in verse 20. And notice what it says. Now speaking to us, remember this is written to Christians. This is not to unbelievers. This is Christians being instructed here. And you, it says in verse 21. And it really means you. All of us. Collective. It means me. You who once were alienated. And enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now notice, he has reconciled. You see, we used to be exactly like them. Amen? Anybody else in here ever forget that occasionally? And you start looking at people in the world like they have some kind of sickness or disease, like you've never experienced it yourself? We need to remember that we were once like them. That our lives were a mess. We were in trouble. That we ourselves were alienated from God. And in fact, we weren't just alienated, we were actually God's enemies. Jesus made that clear, by the way. He said, you're either for me or against me. There's no middle ground with Jesus. And yet now he's reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. That's how he did it. 
He didn't just say a few niceties. He didn't just proclaim a couple of truths. He didn't say some words and then go, well, that's it. He showed us what real reconciliation looks like by shedding his blood to pay the price for your life and mine. For all who will believe, he reconciles in the body of his flesh through death. Why? To present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Look, we have not been saved to be a slave any longer. We have been saved to be set free from the bondage of sin and its penalty, death, so that we can live lives that are pleasing to God. That means holy. People don't like to talk about holiness. Well, it's a little above my pay grade, people will say. You know, God, God alone is holy. That's absolutely true. But by the way, he's called you and me and us, the church, to be holy and to be blameless. Part of the problem we face is the church doesn't take seriously the call to be holy and blameless. And so we kind of, we're okay a little bit dunked in the stuff of this world. And then people get confused because they look at us, they go, well, the church is supposed to be, it says right here, holy and blameless. And they meet someone who professes to be a Christian who's anything but holy and blameless. And they go, well, who's this Jesus guy? If indeed, and the word if there is not a question as if there's some type of you know, inability for this to be the reality. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away, notice this, from the hope of the gospel. Now remember, it's the hope of the gospel, God's free gift to us, amen? Don't forget when you're talking about someone who has a relationship with God, that it was a free gift that gave you that relationship. It wasn't works. It wasn't your own doing. You didn't wake up one morning and go, ha-ha, I finally got a way that I can be pleasing to God. No, Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross to provide that way and has even given you the faith to believe that plan that allows us to have that right relationship, the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was, notice this, here's our mission was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul was about preaching Christ. Paul was on mission. He was on task. When we talk about someone taking up a, a mission, we, we can use it in a purely Christian context, but I think it helps us to see that word in a context that the world understands. If you send in SEAL Team 6 to go take down a bad guy, they are on mission Life and death weighs in the balance. Amen? They're going in, they will give their life for the completion of the mission. Can you imagine if the church took seriously the cause of preaching the gospel to the point of it is my life and to the death I will do it? little different take on mission, isn't it? Wouldn't that be an amazing thing if every person that you came across, it became your mission to the point of death if necessary? And I'm not talking about craziness. I'm talking about everything you have for all that Jesus is. Amen? Everything you have, all that you are, every word, thought, and deed is available for the Lord to, lose, to use, to keep you on mission, to say, whatever it is, I'll become that minister to preach the gospel that is hope. That's the hope. 
hope is not in the things of this world. Her hope is in Christ. He says, and now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And Philip, in my flesh, that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, for the sake of his body, which is the church. And so the Apostle Paul gives us this incredible picture of staying on mission and keeping what we need to really be in this world in focus. We live in a world that's easy to get off focus in, amen? There's a lot of distractions in our world. I mean, right now, you got, yeah, I mean, just the sports world alone, you got Major League Baseball is underway. It's halfway through this. You got football season, preseason. You talk to people today, and they don't know whether it's football season or baseball season or some of us diehard basketball. It never stopped being basketball season, and people are wanting, and the hockey guys are like, yeah, well, you know, the Kings will be back next year. We, we run around completely distracted in our world. And yet, we're on a mission. And that mission is to make him known so that people understand the grace that God offers them. Paul himself had that ministry. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 reminds us of that, that ministry of reconciliation. And so when you think of these things, we have some points that we can pull out of this. In verse 21, we see this. Look, our mission is our past radical alienation. You were radically alienated from God. Before you came to Christ, before I came to Christ, I wasn't just kind of, sort of, not okay with God. I was His enemy. Now, I didn't know it at the time. Not until sin was revealed in my life. I'm like, man, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. But I was actually God's enemy. And I was working pretty much for the enemy's camp. The things that I did, I thought in that context. And that's why it says here, you were once alienated. You used to be in your past alienated from God. That's the way we were. That's how we lived our lives. And it helps us to remember these things so that we can understand that other people are struggling the very same way you used to struggle before you came to Christ. It helps you minister to people because then you don't get more holy than thou. You look at your own life, man, I was worse than that. You once were alienated. You see, in this context, Paul could have said, well, look, I'm a Jew, I have Jewish DNA, and you're Gentiles, and you got Gentile DNA, and man, Gentile DNA, that's really bad stuff. I mean, at least we had the promises of God, okay? I mean, we had the law, we had Moses! You can imagine Paul as a Jewish man, as a Pharisee, as someone who studied the law. He could have said, I come from a long line of people with serious spiritual heritage. And it would have been true. And he could have looked at these heathen Greeks and Romans and said, you know, you you guys, I mean, come on, you got no chance to be holy like me. Can I tell you that some of the church acts that way? Because we're already in, we look at other people like, well, they're really lost. And we forget from whence we have come. Would you please not do that? You were estranged. You were alienated. You were actively hostile to God. That's what enemy means. Actively hostile. In other words, you were engaged in hurting him. You see, ultimately, we can't plead ignorance about the holiness of God because we all were once on the other side. 
we can look back and go, ooh, that wasn't good. I want to encourage you, come Thursday nights, we're, we're in Romans chapter 1, we just started that book. We're, we're, going to take, we're going to take mankind to the court of justice in that first chapter. We're going to see what God thinks of mankind's own purposes and plans. The second thing that we can see here is this radical reconciliation. Look, our mission in our present is the same mission that Paul had to the Gentiles. It's radical reconciliation. And you can see it very clearly. Verse 22, in the body of his flesh, through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. No one can reconcile themselves to God. God has to do that. And you have the answer in the gospel. And so as you share that with people, you're encouraging them to come the only way and the only truth and the only life to the only one who can save. That's radical. Because it bridges every type of line that you can think of. It goes across racial lines. It goes across generational lines. It goes across economic lines. It goes across governmental lines. It crosses every line and says there's one way. And his name's Jesus. That's why Paul set this up this way. The Holy Spirit's saying, look, there's one God. He exists in three persons. There's one Savior. His name is Jesus. He is the Lord. He created you. He created you for a purpose. And he loves you. And so you take that message into the world. And the world says, wow, God loves me? Yes, God loves you. That is in our presence in our present, a radical reconciliation. Again, the book of Romans will tell us, look, while we were without strength, while we were yet sinners, when we were enemies, Paul will say all these things in Romans chapter 5. So look, here's our past condition. We were a mess. We didn't have it together. You didn't have it together. I didn't have it together. When I met Jesus, I was a mess. We need to give people hope by reminding them, hey, before I met Jesus, I was a mess. Isn't it funny how some Christians end up, it's almost like, well, I've always been holy. (laughs) It just took me a long time to figure out how holy I really was. No, you were a mess. And he reconciled you. Presented you faultless before the throne of God. And God doesn't make us his beloved so that we can continue to be rebels. We're supposed to be without blemish. We're supposed to be free from accusation. Once we've been reconciled, the glorious thing, again, we'll see it in Romans 8. Man, no one can bring an accusation against you. You see, in your former state, anybody could have brought an accusation against you before God. Satan surely was. Reminding you of how bad off you were. But look, here's the deal. And I, I see people in the state still, even after coming to faith in Christ. I, I talked to a lady a, a number of weeks ago, and, I, and I'm sitting here talking to her. And, and she, it was almost as if she wanted me to beat her up with her own past. And I'm like, you're set free, sister. And he who the Son has made free is free indeed. Amen? You see, it was never about you saving yourself. He saved you, and he presents you faultless before the throne of God. Walk in it. 
Don't walk the way you used to walk. Don't believe those lies. God's not saved you to make you depressed about being holy, okay? (laughs) Amen? You're supposed to have an excitement about, man, I can change. Too many Christians are wandering around, go, oh, you never do that. You're right, you can never do that. But He is greater who is in you, amen? And so we walk in Him in that marvelous light that transforms. We have a radical, present, just this beautiful reconciliation. We've been made right with God. We also have, in the future, a radical glorification. Notice what it goes on to say, if indeed you continue in the faith grounded, steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven. That's what Paul was doing in ministry. We need to be walking confident. Family of God, we need to be walking confidently in the hope of where we're going. Now, many of us in this room live in the the time when all of these wonderful technologies were developed If you have a smartphone and you did pull it out, on that smartphone, chances are you have a GPS function. And you can press that little button on there and all of a sudden, from out in outer space, it like, and there you are in your house. Does that freak anybody else besides me out? It's like, I don't think anybody should know that. But you see, it locates you. Here's the good news. There's going to be a day when you press that button and it's going to go all the way to heaven. Amen? You're going to be sitting there, you're going to press the button, it's like, whoop, out of here. You're going to be translated into his marvelous light, fully in the glory of God. Now, for some of you, you may take your last breath on this earth and that happens. I pray for most of us, the trumpet sounds and we who are alive and remain meet him in the air. But one day, you're going to be completely in the presence of God. But you can live in that hope of that right now. In other words, you know where your home is. And so when you punch the home button... It's going to show where your house is on this earth, but your real home's not here. It's in heaven. Amen? Amen? That's that radical hope, that radical glorification. God is actually going to give us the full inheritance of who we are in Christ Jesus. And if you're truly saved, you're going to get there because saving grace is keeping grace. And keeping grace is empowering grace. That grace is able to see you home. It's always been about Him. It has never been about you. And in that sense, your hope is in Him and Him alone. We're along for the ride, and we sure don't want to give Him any extra work to do. Amen? So we live our lives well-pleasing to God. We say, look, I want to join God where He's at work. I want to do what He's called me to do. And as I do that, all of a sudden, I have this wonderful benefit of my hope being more hopeful. You see, when you help God, it increases your hope. When you hurt God's plans in your life, it decreases your hope. So if you want more hope, do what God says. It's actually fairly simple. I always tell people, if you want to have God's best, give Him yours. If you don't want God's best, then you do what you think is right. 
And then you can have all the stuff that you get, and he'll still save you because his grace is sufficient. But you'll suffer through all the lack of hope and the lack of victory and the lack of a prayer life and the lack of an understanding where you do things your way. You're going to not have a whole lot of hope. So if you want more hope, do things his way. It's radical what God's going to do in our lives. And that's the reason for the rejoicing, this radical rejoicing that Paul has. Now, I don't know. I don't rejoice in sufferings a lot of times. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. There was a point to Paul's rejoicing in his sufferings. For I fill up in my flesh that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Instead of being ashamed, one might say, of my suffering, I rejoice in it. The New Living Translation says, I rejoice in my sufferings. Why? Because it's suffering for something that matters. We do a lot of suffering on this earth for things that don't matter. Amen? Like taxes. <laughs> Political races. It's like, I, I'm assaulted. I turn on the TV. I have to turn the TV off. I turn the TV on. There's politics on. I'm going, you know, maybe there could be some kind of dog show or something that I could watch. I can't do it. I'm just like, ugh, makes me crazy. And Paul says, look, I, I, I'm, I'm rejoicing in these sufferings. And I want to make sure you're really clear on this because people often misinterpret this passage like there's something that you can do to add to the finished work of Jesus Christ. That is absolutely not what's being said here. And, and what he's saying is he says in filling up these things, look, those who were alive in Paul's day did not see Jesus suffer on the cross. They didn't see it. They weren't there. They, they were not at Golgotha. They didn't go, oh my Lord, how you love us. And so here's what gets to happen. Paul in his life got to be an example of that suffering that Christ went through. And so when Paul would suffer, people could see that suffering for righteousness sake and they could equate it to the Savior. And so when they saw Paul go through those things, they were like, that's what Jesus was doing on the cross. It was a way of relation. And so when he says, look, I'm filling these things up, basically he was making Christ present to those at that time in a very personal way. Paul was in prison. They could identify with somebody that right here, right now is in prison, but was in prison because of Jesus. Someone who was beaten because of Jesus. Someone who literally died ultimately because of Jesus. You see, that would be a way for those things to be filling up as the literal rendering of these words would be filling up in his turn the leftover parts of Christ's sufferings. In other words, there's a way for you now to relate to what Jesus did on the cross because you see somebody go through it. That little girl in the street in Agra is a way for Christ's sufferings to be filled up for you. You can go, okay, I get it. Man, I need to grow in my faith. When you see the persecuted church around the world, that's Christ's sufferings being filled up in a way, in a glass. You can observe it and go, wow, Jesus loves me. No one would ever go through that. Did they not believe that this is the truth? They would never endure these things just simply for a lie. It has to be true. 
And so Paul endured those things for the church. And he did so joyfully. It gave him a joyful, that's why he could write the book of Philippians. It was so filled with joy. Because he wasn't looking at today going, man, I am so shortchanged on life today. He, he was looking at his glorious hope, that appearing of his great God and King, saying, look, one day I'm going to heaven. And these things that I'm going through today have a purpose. And so our mission, here it is. Share the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord because he is a cure for our past. He's the cure for our past. That radical alienation, Christ is the cure. He is also the source of our present radical reconciliation that we who were once enemies with God on the other team, we were wearing the other team's uniform, we were sporting all the paraphernalia of the other team, we were doing everything we could to say, look, we're not on God's team, we're on somebody else's team. Christ is the source of that reconciliation where you got to switch teams. You got to put on a new uni. You got to wear the one that you're wearing now, which is a robe of righteousness, not because you earned it, but because Jesus bought it and gave it to you. The third thing, that hope of our, get this, our future. You see it, our past, our present, our future. That hope of our future, radical glorification. One day you're going to be a whole new you, amen? Behold, all things are passing away, Paul would write to us. We're getting there, but we're not quite there. But one day you're going to get all the way there, amen? You're going to press the home button and be home. So he is the hope of that future glorification. And and finally, he's the reason for our immediate radical rejoicing. You can rejoice today. You're probably going, I would imagine that most of you are going through things in your life where you're you're being pressed in because of who you are in Christ. And see what you can hope in and what you can lean on and what you can view as the source of and the reason that you can have that is because one day this earthly travail is going to be over. And those things which have been done for Christ, they're going to last. And you're going to step out of time and into eternity, and every price that you paid for being a follower of Jesus on this earth, you're going to, as Paul has already reminded us, I count all these things loss for the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And so the cure for our past, the source of our present, the hope of our future, and the reason for those things which are immediate in our life is none other than Jesus. Let's stay on mission. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? And as the worship team comes back out again, we just want to make that offer. There is no other name under heaven whereby men may be saved. And so as we bow our hearts and our heads and our minds to pray, if you're here today and you've not ever made that profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I would say to you that today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is not promised to any of us. And 
Look, he's your cure. He's your source. He's your hope. He's the reason to live. He's the answer to all that life has. And so if you're here today and you want to invite Jesus into your heart, your mind, believers, if you'd bow your heads, please. If that's you and you want to know Jesus, just slip your hand up in the air, wherever you are in the sanctuary. Put your hand up so we can see it. We want to just pray with you right where you're at. We see that hand. See that other hand. Put your hand up. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's everything to be glorified about. See that hand there in the back. See that other hand. Thank you. Those that just raised your hands, see this other hand to my right. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. You're going to pray with me right now. Would you just repeat after me? Believers, pray silently to yourselves with these who have raised their hands. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus and I ask Jesus that you'd cleanse me from my sin Lord that you'd change my life that you'd come and dwell in me Lord I thank you for forgiving me thank you for allowing me to walk in a new life help change me and mold me shape me offer my life to your Lordship ask that you would write my name in the Lamb's book of life. And it's in Jesus' name. Pray these things. Amen. Amen. Amen, amen.